Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. Who loves Les Mis? Les Mis? Oh, absolutely. I didn't at first. I went with Zoe years ago and um, we went to London. We were living down south and she said, and I was never really been into musicals. I fall asleep in them and everything. And, and so I was like, oh, okay, but husbandly duty, go along. And we sat right at the back. I didn't understand the story. I didn't know what was going on with it. I didn't really engage with the plot of it. A bunch of people all singing on, you know, old pianos and things. And um, I kind of, it was all right. That was it. Then that DVD came out and I watched it and got the plot, got the story, got the characters, got what was going on. And then we ended up uh, in New York and the family paid for us to go to Broadway with Alfie Bow. And we were, he was like here and we were like there. And it was awesome. It was a full on experience like you could not believe and you just every, you know you wanted to stand up and do a, like stand innovations all the way through it and it was it was intense it was amazing so yeah I don't just like it <laughs> I absolutely love it and I don't know if you, you maybe know the story but um, there's a convict his name is Jean Valjean 24601 is his number uh, because they take away his name. He's doing hard labour uh, in, in a French prison at the beginning of the story. And um, he's got 19 years he serves. 14 years of it is for trying to escape. And uh, the rest of it was for stealing a loaf of bread. And these prisoners, it's not like our prisons. They're treated like slaves. They are um, you know, really under punishment and pressure all the time and there's Javert who is the inspector who insists on calling them all by their numbers he doesn't want to give them their names because you can treat somebody a lot more uh, inhumanely when they're just a number and they're not a face or they're not a real person so at the start, if you watch it, the prisoners are, are kind of uh, rowing and moving stuff about and, and they start to, to complain about uh, uh, Jesus hasn't heard them. But actually, there's a lot of God in the story as you, as you track through it. When he tries to live a new life, nobody gives him a chance. He won't even get any shelter. People won't even you know, welcome him into their town because he's an obvious ex-con. It's a little bit echoey. Could it just, is any way we can do it to just drop the echo a bit? He finds he's not actually free. Even though he's, he's out of prison, he's not really free at all. And desperate, he ends up at the home of the bishop who you saw there. That was the end of the, of, of, of the film. I've kind of spoiled the ending for you if you've not seen it. But the bishop treats Valjean with kindness, actually with grace and mercy as you look at, at what happens because um, he welcomes him into the home and he repays the bishop's kindness by stealing the silverware and then he gets arrested and the police drag him back to the bishop's house and the bishop, who could punish him, actually says, oh yes, my friend, 
thanks for coming back. I'm so glad you did because you, you forgot these and like gives him the candlesticks as well. You know, he could have him punished, he could have him sent back to prison, but instead he gives him another chance. And then he says to, um, to him, now you can repay this by living a new life. From now on, live as an honest man. And he gets this fresh start. And the only way that Valjean can think that he could possibly have a fresh start is really to become somebody who is not. He has to pretend to be somebody else. He can't actually be a new person. He doesn't think that's possible. So he, he, he takes on a false name and he moves to a different part of the country and he ends up as this new person, kind of, uh, in this different place. But over his life is this shadow all the time. The, the law is hanging over him. The inspector is, is Javert, the chief of police, is always there to remind him of his past. Javert is a man who can't understand mercy. Even when he receives it, he doesn't get it. He doesn't understand it. And so there's these huge themes that are going on in this story, in this book, in this musical. Um, and there's obvious political ones, but there's also um, things about poverty and, and justice. And it's also so much about law and grace and life and death and new life and whether it's possible to actually live a new life. And at the end, it's about heaven and what we think about heaven. And uh, we're in these series week after week after week until I feel I'm kind of run out of it and it's hard to run out of stuff to talk about to do with the kingdom of heaven. Um, we're looking at heaven. And the, the writer of Les Mis, Victor Hugo, was no fan of organised religion. But um, when he looked back on his life's work, as he was drawing near to death, this is what he wrote about it, about his life. He said, are we ready for the first slide? Is it there? The PowerPoint? Sorry, Victor Hugo's quote. I feel within me that future life. He's talking about heaven. I'm like a forest that has been raised. The new shoots are stronger and brighter. I shall most certainly rise towards the heavens. The nearer my approach to the end, the plainer is the sound of immortal symphonies of worlds which invite me. For half a century, I've been translating my thoughts into prose and verse, history, philosophy, drama, romance, tradition, satire, ode and song. All of these I've tried, but I feel I haven't given utterance to the thousandth part of what lies within me. When I go to the grave, I can say, as others have said, my day's work is done, but I cannot say my life is done. My work will recommence the next morning. The tomb is not a blind alley. It's a thoroughfare. It closes upon the twilight, but opens upon the dawn. Make note of that. I'd like that read at my funeral, I think. Because it's saying, you know, he gets it. Death is just a doorway to something way greater. And there's so many things, ideas you've had, dreams and thoughts and plans, places you wanted to go, people you wanted to meet, things you wanted to do. And you've only ever been able to do a thousandth 
of them in this life. That's all you're ever going to be able to get to do. But what he says is, there's going to come a day, there'll come a, be, there'll be a, come a place when all of those would have done's and should have done's will be no more. You'll be able to do them all forever. And this life is just the, the preparation for something way greater that God has got planned. So if you've got that list of you know, things that you'd love to do and places that you'd love to see and projects and ideas and plans. Well, tonight I want to encourage you, first of all, with the idea that, and I, I keep on going on to this, the Bible talks about heaven in such a different way than we do. So often we've fallen for this lie, we've got this idea of this spooky, ethereal place where people just float around in 90s with blonde curly wigs playing harps and it's just this weird, boring place. How, how terrible would that be? No wonder people say things like, well, I'd rather go to hell than go to heaven. They haven't got a clue what hell's like, for one thing, and they certainly have no idea what heaven's like. Just imagine a perfect world a place where there is no pain, no suffering, no injustice, no curse, all blessing. That is what God is getting ready. Because the Bible talks about a new heaven and a new earth. And we have to hold on to that. We have to understand that the Bible talks about a physical re- resurrection of the body. Just in the same way as Jesus' body was resurrected from the grave, so will ours be. We've been reminding ourselves in these recent evenings that our invisible God, I'll I'll recap this, made a visible place to display his glory on called the earth. In the beginning, people were made in his image and they were given the command and the ability to co-reign with him and for him on his behalf, to act on his behalf. And we've made this story just about individuals, but did you ever notice Genesis is actually about the creation of the world? It's about how everything got started out of nothing. That's a miracle, isn't it? Everything got started out as a, as a, as a miracle from God. God created it, ex nihilo, out of nothing. He just made it. And actually, it's a very green story. The Bible's a very green book. But we've not treated it as such. Romans chapter 1 says the invisible qualities of God are clearly shown in what he has made, in what he's created. So the creator revealed himself and continues to in creation. So it says people are without excuse. If, if somebody was to examine the earth and just look at the stars and, 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 and spend some time looking at that, actually you're without excuse from, if you just go away from that and think, oh this just all made itself, it just happened. It's inexcusable that you'd not recognise that there was a creator who made the creation. It didn't just happen. And it is a green book because the Bible starts and ends with trees, with water, with a garden. God's plans for his people are inseparable from his plans for his planet. Genesis is so full of animals and birds and fish and seas and trees. But what we do and what the church has done is often we just made it a human story. This is what we do. We make it all about us. That's part of the problem. It's a major part of the problem. We take everything that's going on in the world and we only think about us. We only think about 
me. We shrink the cosmos down to me. God made humans to be stewards of the environment. In Genesis 1.28, he gave Adam and Eve a job and he said, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. That was the job. But that passage has sometimes been completely misunderstood. It's even given rise, especially among Christians, to our shame, to the idea that God wanted us to dominate the earth. That we can do whatever we want with it. The idea that the creator was saying, we can do whatever we want with his creation, regardless of the consequences to it, is absolutely ridiculous. Genesis 2.15 specifies what they were to do. It says, Adam was put in the garden to tend and keep it. And the two words there are important. The word tend in the Hebrew is abad, and that means to serve, to cultivate, to improve it. So you're given this place to look after it. Because the second part, the, the other word that we translate keep is the Hebrew word shamar, which means guard. We're meant to guard the earth and make it better. We're responsible for it. We've been made responsible for the earth, to look after it for God, to watch over it on his behalf. And he hasn't ever changed his mind about that. So God was not giving permission for his creation to just be used and abused in any selfish way that people decided that they wanted to do with no thought of the future consequences. He gave responsibility and the chance for them to honour him by the way they looked after what he gave them. If they would consume the resources that he gave them wisely, steward it carefully, look after it for him, that would honour him. God wanted to give people an opportunity. He wanted to give us a chance to, to rule over his creation, to show that we could. Because that's ultimately what he wants us to do forever. The next verses have this amazing picture. I remember when I was a, a little boy seeing it in these picture books of Adam and Eve naming all the animals and the birds. And, and, and you know, Adam's there naming all the animals to, to show what a wonderful world it really is. So we're going to watch a video to remind ourselves of what a wonderful world it is. Quite simply wonderful. <laughs> How good is that? So God's original intention was that we would tend and keep the earth, that people would look after this wonderful world that David Attenborough nearly sang about. <laughs> But the story describes how instead humanity chose to rebel. They were tempted to greedily consume what God had given them the way they wanted to. That accurately sums up the story, doesn't it? They decided to steward the resources the way they wanted to, not the way God told them to. To do it sinfully, not as stewards. And the implications of that were not just for them, what they did impacted the whole of the planet as a result of that. So in Genesis chapter 3, God had to explain to Adam and Eve the consequences of what had happened. And literally, what they had done had global implications. 
Since you ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. That's talking about the earth. It's not as it was intended. All of your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you. Though you will eat of its grains, by the sweat of your brow you will have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. For you were made from dust and to dust you will return. So the way the world is now, the world that we live on right now is definitely not the same world effectively as God wanted it to be, but it's the same world. And he wants it to be different in the future. When the World Health Organization says that one in four deaths among children aged under five are due to environmental hazards, such as air pollution and contaminated water, there's something gone wrong with that picture. When we look at issues and problems like land pollution, climate change, overfishing, food wastage, CO2 and nitrogen levels, shrinking biodiversity, the loss of endangered species and deforestation, should Christians be concerned about those things? The answer is a big fat yes. We, we should look at those things and think, what happened to the gift God gave us and what are we doing about it? Something so indescribably beautiful, given for us to tend and watch over, to see if it, we could help to make it flourish as stewards, as servant rulers of the king of kings to watch over and rule on his behalf out of gratitude for his grace we were meant to show in every way that we use everything for his glory the good news is God always had a plan God always has a plan and God always had a plan to fulfill the original design the first creation like I said was made out of nothing but there is a new creation that he's going to make out of this one. The new creation that he makes will not be a new creation. It will be like Jesus' resurrected body. It will, we, we, Jesus is the first fruits. Everything will be resurrected because of Jesus Christ. It will be like, the new heavens and earth will be like a resurrection from the dead. We will, it will bring even more glory to the creator to take what has been destroyed and defiled and messed up and make it better than it ever was. What he wants to do is to reconnect us into that original plan for the whole of his creation. God's plan for salvation, what Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension means, is so much bigger than we've sang about, thought about, read about, believed about. We've shrunk it down like we always do and made it about little old me. And thank God it does include little old me. But it's way bigger than that. It's way better than that. It's cosmic. See, we've made it all about us. And like I say, thank God it does include us, but it doesn't get limited to us. The way we've taught, the way we've thought about heaven hasn't helped us. It's important to talk about heaven. But as Tom Wright says, it's not the end of the world. Christians have all too often thought about heaven in a way that is so out of this world, it makes looking after this planet seem pointless. It's like, why would you bother wallpapering a house that you're going to knock down next week? That's the way we thought about it. But the real biblical picture is of a new world that's going to be made out of the old one and made not just better, but best. This same planet, perfected, Every part of it full of hope 
and joy and peace. Isaiah got a glimpse of it. He glimpsed a future where he says a lion, is, is, a wolf is going to lie down with a lamb and a leopard and a little child shall lead them. Can we put that one on please? Is it sticking? There we go. Isaiah 11. The wolf will lie down with the lamb. The, le- the leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together and the little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den and the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain for the earth, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That's not talking about us going to heaven. It's talking about heaven on the earth and us being a part of that. But it, and it's going to be the same, but it's going to be so different. And that's what we're invited into. This same fallen world that we've inhabited, it's still amazing and still makes us gasp. It makes us want to sing, what a wonderful world. will be so much more wonderful forever and ever and ever for the glory of Jesus. I get excited about this. This is what God is getting ready for us. But I think we've shrunk it down. Maybe you've never even looked at this or thought about it in this way before. This is why I just want to keep on in these evenings trying to get us more excited about the reality of what the Bible talks about, about heaven and earth, than what we've got so far. Because we've, we've traded it for something so much more grey, so much more, it, it doesn't really you know, excite anybody. How much more fun will you have in a perfect world with a resurrection body without limitations? You'll be able to do the million things that you wished you could do. You'll be able to do them all then and there. And it will be a real then and it will be a real there. Realer than this is real. That's why we should get excited. I can't imagine it. You can't imagine it. I can't fully imagine it. But the Bible does tell us a lot about it. The Bible says, I has not seen, nor ear heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man, the things which God has prepared for those who love him. And we stop there. But actually what it carries on to say is, but God has revealed these things to us by his spirit. So we kind of say, oh, we can't possibly know what's happened. But actually, we can know a lot of things because God has revealed these things to us. We never fully grasp how amazing this future is until we see it. And we'll see it, it, whether you wear glasses or not now, you won't need glasses then. (laughs) You'll be able to see it better than anybody's... What was that? Better than anybody's ever seen anything. See, there's a picture I've used a lot over the years here at Ivy. When I first came, when they just did a vote as to whether or not I should be the, the minister here, uh, or the, whatever they called it, lead senior pastor, they, in, the, in an evening service, I, I showed a, a video, and it was about how the church couldn't, can be like a, um, a cruise ship or lifeboats. And I said, if I come, we're not going to be a church that's about being a cruise ship. We're going to be about lifeboats. And I love this church because you took us up on it and you said yes to that. And we've become that. And we have become uh, lifeboats on rescue missions going out into the, into the world. And we've said that we're always going to be about who we can reach. 
Even more than who we can keep, we're going to be about reaching more people for Jesus. But sometimes, what, because of the way that we talk about salvation, and because of this natural fallen human tendency to make everything about ourselves, we, we, that, that picture might not be that helpful because we've made salvation just this individual, personal thing. And it is that, but it's more than that. See, I do this all the time without even really thinking about it. I think about a personal response to the gospel. And actually, that's important. I do want people to be given the chance. And, and everybody has to have the opportunity to make a personal response to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that you will know, if you've never made that, the same as I know, I have been saved, I am being saved, and I will be saved because of Jesus Christ. And I'm never going to stop asking people, and this church is never going to stop inviting people to make a personal decision to come and follow Jesus Christ for yourself. Because that's important. But the big picture of salvation, of redemption, of what Jesus has done and all that he's won is so much grander, so much more glorious and more expansive than you and me and Jesus. What's the most famous verse in the Bible? John 3.16. If you know it, tell me. God so loved the what? The, world. the what? The world. Oh, what we've done is, and we've done this, we said, you can take the world out and put your name in there. Haven't we? We've said that to people. But you don't have to take the world out to put your name in it. In fact, God so loved the world means the world. It doesn't just mean me. God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's about heaven and it's about you and it's about me and it's about God who is so big and he does love the world and it's personal but it's bigger than just being individual. And to underline that, what's the next verse? Don't look at it, don't put it on yet. Absolutely. Verse 17, let's put it up. For God did not send his, world, his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus came to save the world. And that includes me. Let's get some proportion. Jesus came on a rescue mission to save me. So I love the lifeboat but actually it's probably more accurate to talk about arcs than lifeboats because God's plan of redemption is not just to go to individual people and pull them from drowning out of the sea although it includes that Jesus came to save the sea as well and all the seagulls and all the fish and all the sand and all the land and all the trees and all the birds all of it Jesus came to save the world, not to condemn the world, but so that the world might be saved. How? Through him. Through what he did on the cross and his death and resurrection and ascension. That's why Tony Campolo said this. <coughs> Tony Campolo said that the environmental movement would have become relegated primarily, or so it would seem, to those who espouse New Age religion is the most tragic of ironies. It should be Christians 
Orthodox evangelical Christians, Bible-believing Christians who are the most committed to the caring for and redeeming of God's good creation. In other words, if we say as Christians we're the people who know what it is to be saved, shouldn't we be the most concerned about saving the planet? The answer is yes. We've said over and over and over that one of the Main ways God wants us to understand how we live now until Christ returns and we inhabit a new and improved Eden, earth, is that he wants us to steward this one. Time and time again when Jesus was talking about how we're to live ready for him returning, he would say, remember you're a steward. Remember you've been given some things to look after until I return, until I come back. Does that include, that stewardship, does that include fossil fuels does it include trees yeah but again we've made it about my spiritual gifts it's bigger than that it includes that but maybe your spiritual gift involves saving trees <laughs> maybe there's, there's people in here and you've been thinking how does my work relate to the God stuff and all of that it's all part of it because it's bigger, way bigger than we've made it and we've talked about it. We've made it just about church. It's bigger than that because the church is all about God's plan to save the whole cosmos and to display his glory everywhere. See, just because we have a promise of something better in the future, that shouldn't make us care less about what we've got right now, should it? In fact, it should make us value it even more. Let me give you an example of that. If a young man was to give his girlfriend an engagement ring... That's such a precious gift, isn't it? It's there. Why did you give an engagement ring? As a promise of something better to come. It's, it's valuable in itself, but it's also got value because of what it's going to promise. It's not the wedding. It's not the wedding ring. In a similar way, our life now and the world we live on is like an engagement the Bible talks about it like that. And the fullness of what God has got for us is like a wedding that's going to come. The environment, the air we breathe, the seas, the resources, it's all God's gift of love to us. It's like his engagement ring for now. It's not, that, it's not everything it's going to be when the wedding comes, but it is still precious. It's still valuable, like the engagement ring. Imagine if, if, the, if the girl says, well... You know, oh, let's see the ring. Ah, just an engagement ring. That's all it is. Nobody does that, do they? You know, I don't, oh, I don't care. What happened to your engagement ring? Oh, I don't know. I've lost it. Don't really care. I'm going to get a wedding ring. People don't do that, do they? I'm not sure how far the wedding plans would proceed. <laughs> if that was the way that the engagement was thought about. See, there are two ways that we can get this wrong. Christians get, can get so into the idea of personal salvation, they end up thinking it's all about how to get more people into heaven and to hell with the earth. Or the opposite extreme is to be so focused on saving the whales, we forget about saving souls. There's no need to do either. The fact is, the more precious your personal salvation is to you, the more excited you should be about how God wants to save everything. Save the planet, the universe, because of what Jesus has done. The, 
there's this saying people have talked about, the more, oh, you're so heavenly minded, there's so, uh, no, no earthly good. The fact is, the more heavenly minded we become, really, biblically, the more earthly good we should do and we should be. Because it shows how valuable you treat what God has given you now. How you look after it now. So in prison, Jean Valjean loses his name. He's not that anymore. He's 24601. I was listening to a podcast this week where they interviewed the famous uh, psychologist behind what was one of the most famous psychological um, experiments, the, the Stanford Prison Project. I don't know if you've heard about it. In 1971, they set up a fake prison. They got these university students and they, um, they, they split them up half and half. And some of them were made to be guards and some of them were made to be prisoners. And they decided they were going to put them in this place for, t- for two weeks to film them 24-7 to see how they behaved. And they had to abandon the experiment after five days because... The guards were bullying the prisoners. Even though like five days before they'd all just been students, now there's people in authority who are bullying and, and, and torturing effectively and putting under psychological duress the prisoners. And one of the reasons that they said this when they interviewed with the psychologist, he said it's because they, 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 made them, they gave them numbers and not names. They dehumanised them. They said you have to do that. One of the ways, the only way you can really treat somebody that badly is if you don't see them as a human anymore that's why he, he went on to say that's why we call somebody migrants or the homeless we don't talk about homeless people we don't even personalize it that much so now we can do what we want with them it's all about this depersonalizing one of the things that can happen in the criminal justice system when you get put into it is in certain cases they'll take your passport off you what's your passport It's proof of your identity and your entitlement to certain privileges as a citizen of a kingdom, in this case, in the United Kingdom. I have a passport for the United Kingdom. I have certain rights as a citizen of the United Kingdom. The Queen says so. It's on the front of the passport. The, The Queen says, I should be allowed to go unhindered into whatever nations I decide to go to and I shouldn't be stopped from doing that. But part of being under judgment means... That stops. It means I'm not allowed to go and do the things that I, meant I want to do and, and be able to go wherever I want to go anymore. A prisoner has got no control over that. They've lost their liberty. They've lost their freedom. So as I say, they'll often take the passport away as part of the process. Why am I talking about this? It goes back to what went wrong in the garden. After the earth was spoiled, Adam and Eve were not allowed back into Eden. Do you remember that? They were barred. They were only allowed to wander this cursed earth, this broken planet. And now God said it's going to be hard for you to live on this place. You can't just go anywhere you want to. You've lost your special status. You've become prisoners. The Bible says that their natural descendants become slaves. Slaves to sin and darkness. But then one day, God came to save the planet. In the person of his son, Jesus Christ. The Bible says he went to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up. We'll read about this. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom. For who? The prisoners. 
that's not just good news for people who are in prison. That's good news for everybody. That's good news for the whole of creation that's been locked up in bondage. And recovery of sight for the blind. To, to set the oppressed free. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Jesus was saying, this is what I've come to do. I've come to do what only the Son of God could do. I've come to put everything right for everything that's gone wrong. For everyone. To restore everything. To see us set free. And he who the Son sets free is free indeed when you put your faith and trust in Jesus to save you you become a citizen of heaven you get your passport back he opened the way for you to be forgiven and get your purpose and your righteousness back you need to know tonight what happened because of the cross we sang about it before because that blood fell from the cross and landed on planet earth and soaked into that dust Something happened when that happened. You received a free and full pardon from God. A pardon. Isaiah 55 says, Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. Not that he may judge him, that he he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will what? He will abundantly pardon. What an amazing word. See, you didn't just get parole. The Bible says you get a pardon. The king has granted you a pardon. Do you know the difference? I remember when I was in the police and read about this, and, and it was one of the things that, because I knew a little bit about the law, it kind of grabbed me, the difference here and what it means. And, and th- I'm reading about Jesus, how he came to bring freedom for the prisoners. And then I read this about hearing about how, how I get a pardon. And I, I'm like, wow. Because if you get parole... You're kind of free. You're only kind of free. A lot of Christians live like they're on parole, not like they've got a pardon. On parole, you can only go so far. You can only do so much. There's, there's conditions attached. You might get recalled. You better keep your nose clean. You're on probation, really. But with a pardon, you are free. Fully free. Abundantly pardoned. See, with a pardon, you are free indeed. Once a king or a ruler sets a prisoner, gives them a pardon, the crime is gone. The slate is clean. A declaration is made and it legally says you are completely acquitted. Not just as if... You never committed the crime, but as if, get this, the crime was never committed. That's a whole other level. When you get that, you've got no right to feel guilty anymore. You've got no reason to feel condemned at all. You're free. You are just as innocent as if you'd never done anything wrong. In fact, as if no wrong had ever been done. I think that's pretty cool. Do we live like that? Because if we start to live like that, I talked last week about how we're called to reign in life through Christ Jesus. You get your passport back. To go and be on mission for Jesus wherever he sends you to do whatever he wants you to do everywhere in the world. 
You've got the papers that say you are free. You are free to travel. You are free to work. You are free to do what you want to do. But actually, you find that what you want to do is what he wants you to do. And you get all the resources of the kingdom because you're, you're actually now living as an ambassador for Christ wherever you go. This is what Jesus did. This is what the cross does. We're going to look at this for weeks, starting from next week on, on, on Sunday mornings at all of the different sites. We're going to be looking at this four-point stuff and we're going to be talking about it a lot, about how amazing the cross is because we've still not grasped this. You'll never get to the bottom of it. But have you said yes to that? I don't just mean, have you, have you said yes to, I'll be kind of forgiven and be on parole. Have you grabbed the pardon? Have you said yes, please, thank you, for the full and abundant pardon? Tonight, you can say yes to that. In a minute, if you haven't done that, you can say, I want the pardon. Maybe you realise, as I'm saying it, you've only kind of been living a bit on parole. You've been thinking, yeah, but... Uh, you know, there is still this and there is still that. For you to be able to say, you know, I just want the pardon. I want the full grace. I want it all. Just as if I'd never sinned. That word justification. I love that word. It's in the Bible in Romans. It talks about being justified by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. You, you, you've got your side of the page. It's all wobbly like this, isn't it? You press control and J. Justified. Like that. Jesus does that. Press control and J for Jesus. Jean Valjean was only ever free. This is the sad bit for me. It's a kind of happy ending, but it's not a happy ending because for me, Jean Valjean was only free when his life ended. He was never free in life. It was like that sentence, that law, that condemnation always hung over him. Too many Christians live like that, but we don't have to wait. We can receive that abundant pardon right now. Then when you receive that pardon, you get your passport back and you get your purpose back. When you don't know your purpose, you're just going to spend the rest of your life trying to figure out what it is. God knew what he was doing when he made you, and he did make you. He created you. He created you unique in creation. There's never been anyone like you. There'll never be one like you again. You are unique. Never despise your design, because if you do that, you're despising your designer. Your designer had a destiny in mind for you. He has a certain amount of plans for you, and he wants you to get involved with him in saving the planet. How big is that? What are you doing? I'm saving the planet. Da, da, da. Go to work tomorrow. I've come to save the planet. Oh, all right, well, make us a cup of tea then first. <laughs> See, when you start believing that, I'm part of, I'm uniquely here on the earth right now at this time as part of God's plan to save the planet. Is that going to change how you talk about yourself, how you see, how you see everything? It should do. If we, if we really believe this, if we really believe this, we wouldn't need as much counselling. I'm not saying it's wrong to get counselling. I've had counselling. But we wouldn't need as much therapy. We wouldn't, need as, we wouldn't feel so insecure. We wouldn't feel so intimidated by, or jealous of other people. Because you're free to be you. And you are pardoned. And you've got your passport. And you've got permission. And you've got a purpose. All because of Jesus Christ. And it's not a little job. Is part of saving the world and the cosmos and the universe. That's the job. Are you up for it? Yeah. Hope so. That's what you were put here to do. That's why you're here. 
The most important days in this life. I was just, this is how I'm finishing off the talk and I was praying for, okay, is there anything else, Lord? Is there anything that you really want me to say to people tonight? And then this came. Two most important days in your life are when, when day and why day. That was it. God said that. I was like, really? What's that about? When day and why day are the two most important days in your life. When day is when you get pardoned by Jesus. And why day is the day you discover your purpose. You discover why you're here, why you've been saved. The purpose is the original design or intention for something. It's your why. Do you know your why? God's intention for humans has not changed since he put those first ones on the planet. Bring life. Bring flourishing. Push back the weeds. Push back the darkness. Bring the light. Let the Father's kingdom come on the earth as it is in heaven. That's your why now. But you never discover your why until, well, you have to, when, when day always has to come before why day. People are looking for why, but they haven't had the when. They've not had that, that knowledge of, of, of the day when I was saved by Jesus was then. And now because of that, I know my why. You'll never find your why unless you have that when day first. So if you're like, well, I don't even know when my when day was. Happy when day. Today can be when day. Oh, it's Sunday. No, it can be your when day. The day when you say, Jesus, I fully give my life to you. With all of its messes and all of its things I've got wrong as part of messing up your planet together with everybody else who's ever done it. You know, the fact is, if this is right, every bit of litter that we've ever... Every bit of litter that we've ever dropped is part of that sin. Every time you ever, you know, I don't know, I used to smoke, flicked away a, a cigarette as if it didn't really matter. It's cosmic rebellion against God. It's a slur on the beauty of the creator for us not to recycle and not to bother. It matters that much. It really does. But we can be forgiven, we can be pardoned. When? Wednesday. Today. And then, after Wednesday, we get why day. We get to find out more and more why we're here, part of saving this planet. So let's pray. Close your eyes if you're here. It helps you to focus. And you can come back to God right now, because it's Wednesday today. And as you pray now, as you pray to him, just talk with him. Maybe you've never had a Wednesday. Maybe you, couldn't, you can't point to one and say, actually, I know that, I'm not talking about a date, you don't have to remember a date, but you've never had a time when you've actually said, yes, Jesus, I want to follow your plan for my life and I don't want to be in charge of it anymore. I'm giving my life to you. You've never had a Wednesday. If that's you and you want today to be a Wednesday, just so I can pray for you and agree with it, could you stick up a hand so I can see it? Thank you. Thank you at the back there. Brilliant. Great. Three, three Wednesdays today. I love that. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that, just pray to him now. Say, Lord, I want that full pardon. I want to be free. I want, the, I want my passport back. 
to be able to go all the places that you want me to go, to do all the things that you want me to do. I don't want to be held back. I don't want to live just like I'm on parole, like I'm, I'm kind of half forgiven or, or, or not fully accepted. And, and Lord, with all of my messes and all of my questions, I just come now and dedicate my life completely to you and to heaven's purposes on the earth. Just ask him to do that. Say, please make me a new creation, like the Bible says I will be. And then use me as a new creation for your new creation. For your purposes in this created earth. Help me to look after your creation as a new creation. Save me as part of your amazing salvation of the whole world. Thank you for including me in that. And now please use me according to your purposes that my why would be the same as yours, that you've come to seek and save. Help me to to do the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, go to ivychurch.org forward slash media.